Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. I'm starting with this one only because I get asked this type of question all the time. Can you recommend a good, fair-priced plumber? And you can plug in plumber, you can plug in painter, carpenter, anything. I have a leak under a bathroom sink. Thanks so much. Love your radio show. Joan. Well, Joan, here's the deal. The good ones are not the cheap ones. And I know you didn't ask about cheap. You asked about fair priced. And when you're trying to figure out what is a fair price, here's the things you got to take into consideration. And honestly, I'm looking at, at my pricing structure on, on my companies right now uh, because I haven't changed pricing in about uh, three years. And so periodically you got to go through and look at it. And the things as a company that you have to look at, one, labor. Labor is the number one cost for any construction company. Because without people, you've got nothing. So right now, be honest with you, everybody's trying to hire. So you're having to pay a premium, which raises the prices on everybody. The secondary thing, the cost of fortune, is insurance. Now, why do you as a homeowner care about insurance? Well, it's real simple. Somebody gets hurt on your job, you want to make sure that contractor has workers' comp. If they don't, that person who got hurt can come back and sue you as a homeowner. And yes, if you have homeowner's insurance, they will step in and protect you. However, what you've got to remember is there will be a deductible, typically. But the secondary thing, you've got a lawsuit on your record right now. And if you go to finance something, if you go to you know buy another house or whatever, that can flag you and cause problems for you. You don't need those headaches. Make sure you hire contractors that have workers' comp. That keeps them from being able to sue you. It, 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 it's really that simple. General liability. If something happens, you want to make sure they have general liability to cover the expense of rebuilding your home. Or if something tears up the neighbor's home or something like that, you know, that you're having done on your property. A lot of times, you know, people start, try to compare. Concrete is a really good example. They try to compare hiring a contractor who's a bootleg contractor, going to come out and do it on a Saturday. No inspections, no permits, no insurance, none of this stuff. And they're comparing that price to a contractor who goes and pulls his permit gets all the proper paperwork, has the inspections, has the insurance. You can't compare the price. And and, and and concrete is a really good example because by the time you go pull a permit, you know, the permit itself isn't that expensive, but you got to pay somebody to go down and get it. A lot of times you have to have an engineer's stamp. You know that you're looking at four or $500 just for that. And why is that important to you? How many times have you seen concrete poured where the reinforcing didn't do what it was supposed to do? Or there was no reinforcing? You need the permits and the inspections. You need to have things verified. Now, listening here on Texas Home Improvement, yes, I'm telling you the things you got to be looking for, like don't use wire mesh in your driveway 
or patios use rebar. I like number three rebar, 12-inch centers. Holds up great. You can get it in the middle of the concrete. It's going to do what reinforcing is supposed to do. Wire mesh lays on the bottom. Now, does it meet code? Yes. So you're not necessarily getting the inspections to make sure that uh, it's all done 100% the best way. You're just trying to make sure it's done the at, at least to the minimum standards that are out there. Anyways, back to the question. Plumber, hey, by all means, call my company, Due West Plumbing, 972-406-0912. We'd be more than happy to come out and help you with your plumbing repairs. It's just when you start talking about the fair pricing or when somebody asks me, you know, is is it going to be expensive? Well, define expensive. You can pay to have it done twice because you can pay cheap and then have to redo it later or you can pay to have it done right the first time. And or by a company who, if something does happen, is there to stand behind the work they do. And that is the biggest reason for hiring the right contractor. A good contractor will stand behind their work and come back and fix it if there's an issue. And that's really what it comes down to. Also, when it comes to taking care of your foundation, you know, they're they're talking the 100 degree temperatures are coming this week. This is when most people decide, hey, I probably need to start watering my foundation. At this point, you're already behind the curve. You need to be watering your foundation year-round. If you don't, you're never going to catch up. Because when you're watering the foundation in the winter months, you're playing catch-up from last summer and getting the soils ready for this summer. Basically, all you're doing is the soils dry out when when it, when it, uh, the weather dries, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand again. And so you've got this up and down cycle all the time. By watering, you're not eliminating the up and down cycle. You're minimizing it. But you've got to do it year round. So if you haven't started watering yet, go to our website, thipro.com. Click on the link to do West, and there's detailed watering instructions there on how to properly water your foundation. And yes, it's do-it-yourself instructions. Due West can install a system for you as well, but we tell everybody how you can save money and do it yourself because it is one of those things where really if everybody watered their foundations properly, it'd probably cut the amount of foundation work needing to be done in half. Let's head to uh, Mineola. John, how are you? Doing good. I got a plumbing problem. We had to run a new water line to our house last weekend because our old one got broken and when our old one got broken we got some sand in it and when we established our new water line somehow the sand got into our house and it when we uh, turned on the new water line our water pressure in the new in our house is about half what it used to be yeah so i called a plumber out the look at it and he said i don't know how you're going to get the sand out of your house so do you have an idea yes you're going to have to open up uh you know you can try to do it through the faucets but typically the sand's not going to travel through those very well uh, go to an outside hose bib the lowest one and flush the line just like you see the city doing when they're opening up fire hydrants and 
flushing out stuff, uh, uh-huh. you, you got to do the same thing. It, it's not going to be a matter of just opening it up for a few seconds. You're really going to have to let it flow. And in order to clean the lines to all the different fixtures, you literally have to disconnect the faucet and take the... Uh, the hose that goes up to to say like the kitchen faucet or the bathroom faucet, unhook it underneath uh-huh. the, the faucet itself and put a five gallon bucket there and open it up full blast with the cutoff valve and just let it flow. Okay. And do that to all the faucets? Yep. But I would start with the hose bib furthest away from the water line coming in the house to get as much out of the main lines as you can first. And the hose, baby, you're talking about the outside faucet, like the garden Correct. hose hook? Okay. Yes. Okay, all yeah. right. Now, the secondary thing you're going to have to do, because you've probably gotten sand already into all the uh, aerators, you know, the on the faucets where the uh, the little screen on the end of the, where the water comes out. Right. You're going to have to take all those off and clean them. And I would start okay. by doing that first, because it, there's a chance that it's just a matter of clean, getting that sand cleaned out, and you may have full pressure again. Okay, all righty. I got a shower. I, I've got sand in, in you know, I, I ought to practice what I preach. I'm telling you how to do it, and I've got sand in one of my lines that I keep getting uh, sand into the shower head. And uh, I just take it off. I flush it out, and it flows at full full blast again. But in order to get the sand out of the pipes, that's what you need to do. Okay, I'll give that a try then. All right. Take care, John. Yeah, appreciate your help. You bet. Doggone it, I'm going to have to do that on my own house here. I don't know why I haven't already done that. You know, you, you sit here and you, you think about it, and then all of a sudden I get a phone call and say, you know, that, that's easy, we can fix this. I need to take care of it at, at my house. This is from a renter, actually. I rent in bad rain where the water pools, the slab lets water come into the house under the floors. I am sure the ingress is under some plants, and think if I dig down, I could possibly seal the slab with roof sealer and then the brick with some kind of concrete sealer. The water runs off usually in a few hours. If the city finds out that it costs over half the value of the home to repair, they will condemn the place and I will have to move. And this is why I wanted to read this story, uh, or this question rather. The land and the home... The land is valued at 800000 The home is valued at fifteen. Any suggestions? Well, I, I wanted to, and the reason I wanted to read this, I wanted to clarify a couple things. One, that 50% value is if the home is flooding. Getting a little water coming in because you got standing water out is not the same type of flooding that we're talking about. When you start getting 6 inches, 12 inches, three feet, four feet, eight feet of water in the home, that's what they're talking about with the 50% value. If you're getting standing water outside the house that's puddling, you need to take care of the drainage and get that water away. When a whole area floods and the water comes up, that's a different situation. And if you're in that type of situation, yes, if you have to put more than 50% of the value of the home into the repairs, they're going to make you raise it to the elevations, current building elevations. So deal with your drainage 
and don't worry about whether it's going to flood or not because that's obviously going to be under the 50% rule. And I got one more thing I want to address when we come back with more Texas home improvement. Okay, this was a render. They sent in a message as far as if the house floods, gets water in under the floors, that they may have to get it. It may end up getting condemned because of the half value of the repair cost, uh, value of the house into repairs. Again, that's only if the house floods and it is in a flood area and you're going to get permits for rebuilding the home. When you're dealing with drainage, which it sounds like you are, you got to get the standing water away from the foundation and thinking that you're going to dig down and put tar or something on the foundation to seal it or something on the brick to seal it, it won't work. A home is not built to be watertight. Water will get through the gaps. It's, it's going to happen. Now, you can put a flood wall around a house, but that gets, again, very expensive. So my recommendation would be you take a look at what you can do to get the water draining away from the house. And if you can't drain it away, you may have to put catch basins with a sump pump to pump the water away. But again, that only works if it's not a total flood of the area. If it's just standing water, you're getting around the home. And hopefully, from the description that you had on the email, uh, I think that should take care of your issues with it. Demetrius, how can I help you? Yeah, I've got a uh, patio, an elevated patio with a tile service as a drip edge on the end of it, and it's corroding. And I've talked to the contractor about having it replaced, and he said he can't replace it because if he pulls up the tile, it will ruin the seal on the patio. Is there any way to stop that corrosion? Is it, what is the steel that's corroding, or is it steel? Uh, it's supposed to be galvanized, and uh, the explanation I was given was the, the, the grout they used is interacting with the galvanized metal and causing it to corrode. Okay. And but it's down it's down where the tiles are? Well, no, it's an elevated patio. Okay. Okay. And there's a drip edge and there's a tile on top of it, right? Gotcha. So it, it yeah, if you look from the edge it's uh it's you know, patio, drip edge, and then tile. Okay. They do make some products that are made to stop rust corrosion. And then you would you so what you end up doing is cleaning it up real good first you apply this product then you have to apply a a primer sealer paint it you know go through a lot of steps to minimize the corrosion but it's only going to help in the areas that are accessible so anything that reaches back under the concrete or the tile it's, it's not going to be accessible so it would still continue to happen in those places but i think it would buy you a lot of years as far as where you can get the products, they do make some for, uh, you know, hardware stores and things. But honestly, the best ones I've seen are at the automotive paint shops. If you go into okay. one of them, they have a product to turn that rust basically into a metal. And then they've got the best primers and everything to go with it. All right. Do you have a name of it or just go in and... What I'm trying to yeah, do just go in and deal. tell them that you've got rust on metal that you're wanting to uh, apply an, a uh, a sealer on it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care. And it's it's one of those things that 
you know, it, it, it's used a lot on automotive because we get a lot of rust in cars or, or used to get a lot of rust. The newer cars don't have a, as big a problem with it. But, uh, you know, rust is a problem. It, it, it's like cancer. Once it's in there, it just continues to expand until you do something to slow it down. And that's what these products do. Now, they do make one that used to be sold in the hardware stores that you could apply and it would turn the rust black and then you could put a primer on it and paint it as well. Uh, but I just never had good luck with that one. I always had better luck with the automotive style, and that's the reason I recommend that one. Brent, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, how's it going? Wonderful. Happy Memorial Weekend. Thank you. Yeah, I was calling about an air, air conditioning unit. Okay. And when it's when it's 100 degrees outside, what's a good temperature to have on the inside so that the unit doesn't just keep continually running? Uh, somebody told me once that to get your temperature indoors 20 degrees below the outside temperature is about the maximum that an air conditioning unit can can do. Well, it's not. I mean, it, it's what some people like to claim, uh, but truly... An AC system can be designed to bring the temperature down to whatever you want it at. There is no reason you shouldn't be able to set your thermostat at a you know, 74, 75, something like that, right. even when it's 100 degrees out, and get the, the temperature in your house down to that. Will it come on and off throughout yes. the day? It should well, come it, on it, and off. It's going to depend on the system, though. Right. And I say that because a lot of the newer systems especially the, the variable speeds and multi-speeds and things like that, they never shut off. They ramp down and are continuously running because uh -huh. it, it costs more to turn, for them to fire back up than it does to just keep them running at a, at a lower pace. And that's continuous, like three, four hours in a row, huh? That's continuous, like, yeah, six, seven, eight hours. Oh, okay, and that that's no problem but, on the stress of the unit itself. No, no, the the stress on the unit is really the on and off, more so really? than just the running. Uh -huh. uh, but if you've got an older single-speed unit, it does supposed to cycle on and off. Typical is for a unit to come on and run for 15, 20 minutes, and then it'll cycle off again for a few minutes and then cycle back on again. Okay, listen, I appreciate it. you got a great show, and uh, God bless you, and happy Memorial Day. Thank you, sir, and uh, you have a good weekend as well. Thanks. Bye. And, and, you know, for everybody, yes, there are people who will tell you 15 degrees is all you'll get from the outside temperature. That is not right. The systems will cool it down further than that, but they have to be designed properly that's where a lot of systems run into trouble. If your system was put in and only designed to do that, that's the best you're going to get out of it. But that's not acceptable in today's environment. 713-212-5874. Before I jump back into the next call, if you end up getting a new system, make sure they do the load calculations. That's where they come in, look at the windows, look at the insulation, what way the house is facing. They're supposed to check the ductwork. All this stuff goes into the calculations to design the system properly and to make sure the ductwork is proper. Then you can get the house to the comfortable temperatures that you want it at. When they shortcut and they do the beer can technology, 
that was a three-ton out there. Let's put another three-ton in. That's where you're going to run into trouble because things change. Mike, welcome to KTRH. Hey, Jim. Thanks for, for taking my call. Um, I don't have an air conditioning question. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but I did uh, just purchase a new home with a remarkable garage without a lick of cabinetry in it. And I'm contemplating uh, built-in either wood, uh, semi-custom MDF, or uh, maybe aluminum or steel. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on uh, on MDF. And uh, I'm familiar with you know some of the issues around strength of shelving, but yeah. how does it hold up in the climate here? Not good. No. Because of the humidity. Uh, uh, out in the garage you know i mean let's face it outside we're running humidity levels in the 90s most of the year and that particle board as it takes on moisture it becomes even weaker and so when when you look at the shelves that have the that board on it it will literally start to sag you you'd be much better off going with the metal metal shelving or or regular regular plywood or regular lumber, but not not the MDF. But I mean, in in terms of the uh, the cabinetry itself, is the MDF okay? If you go with wood shelving, it will last a pretty good amount of time, but it will not last as long as the metal will, because the the humidity level will eventually get to it. All right, that's helpful. Thanks very much. You bet. Right. And, and, and we just got to remember that the shelving, it, what you're looking at is something that's made really for outdoor use when you're talking about a garage. Uh, and most shelving, or most cabinetry rather, is made for indoor use. And even though you're protected from the rain, the humidity levels in a garage are just astronomical unless you're going to put a dehumidifier in there. If you put a dehumidifier in there, you can get away with it. But then you got that dehumidifier running all the time. This comes from Mike. I was told that air conditioner vents do not need to be cleaned until they are 20 years old. What do you say about that? Well, Mike, air conditioner vents don't need to be cleaned until they're dirty. Now, they need to be wiped off periodically. You're going to get dust and stuff on them. But as far as cleaning the vents themselves, and typically what most people mean when they start talking about the air conditioner vents, they're talking about the duct work. Because the vent, you can see when it needs cleaning. It's, it's got stuff on it, and it just needs to be cleaned up. As far as the duct work, when does it need to be cleaned? Whenever it gets dirty. You got to remember the air that's going through the ductwork is typically filtered air. Unless something happens to your system, the air goes through your filter first, goes through your system, and then out through the ductwork. So what is it that can cause you problems in your ductwork? Well, if you're doing remodeling in the house, you got the AC system shut off, dust can float up and get into the ductwork. That's just an example of something that can happen. If you have something go wrong with the AC system, you can get dust in and uh, worse into the ductwork. Mildew, molds, stuff like that can get in there if your system's not kept running properly. So when do you know it's time to clean it? Well, typically, you can tell if you take the vent off 
reach up in there, and if it if you're feeling grime and stuff inside your ductwork, it's time to have it cleaned. It's that simple. There is no set time that it should need to be cleaned. I will tell you, I have been in my house for 15 years and have not had the ductwork cleaned. I did have the ductwork replaced when I moved in, but there has not been a need to clean it since then. In my house, I run 5-inch media filters on my AC system, so I only have to change the filters like every five months. For every inch thick of filter you have, you buy yourself a month. And uh, so is there times where you got to clean them? Absolutely. Don't over-clean them. The other thing you got to remember on cleaning ductwork, you got to have the right kind of ducts. If you've got flex duct and it's got the plastic liner inside, not the aluminum tube, don't even bother having it cleaned. Because when they go through and try to clean it, they're just going to tear all that plastic up. Then they're going to tell you, oh, we got to reduct this thing. Not what you want done. If you do have the flex duct that has the aluminum tubing running through it, yes, they can run a brush through there to clean it. But they've got to be very careful with it. So there are some downsides to cleaning duct. Now, there's a big push in Texas. In fact, it's already passed the energy codes. Uh, and it's supposed to take effect in 20, I can't remember, 2019 or 2020, I think 2020, that no more flex duct. They want to go back to all hard duct, like it was back in the oh, 60s and early 70s before they started using the flex duct because they say the air flows better through the rigid duct and it's really going to add a ton of cost to change out an AC system because if you change out your air conditioner once that rule takes effect they're no longer allowed to hook the new system up to the old ductwork they will have to replace it with the new ductwork uh, houses have been built around using flex duct this is going to be a major problem down the road if it stays standing. There's there's a lot of uh, AC organizations that are fighting it right now, trying to get rid of that ruling, but we will have to wait and see at this point. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about the ductwork and, and the new state codes. One of the things that's happening because of that, a lot of the air conditioning companies, and I'm not talking about the contractors, I'm talking the manufacturers, like uh, Carrier and American Standard, Train, all these companies, they're putting a lot of development money into ductless system. And, and the reason for it, it's going to get so expensive to install the ductwork that in many cases it will be less expensive to go with a ductless system. Now, right now, you'll find that it is cheaper to go with a duct-type system than it is the ductless. A lot, of, a lot of us think that, oh, the ductless is less expensive. It's not. Just because of the technology, you know, everything is shrink, shrunk down and in size, and so all that technology costs money. But a lot of development money is going into the ductless systems. In Europe, that's, that's pretty much the standard systems right now. We're still on a duct system. They work fine, don't get me wrong. But so does the ductless. And one big advantage to the ductless system, you can have a thermostat in virtually every room. And typically they're handheld, so it's, it's movable. But, you know, at night, for instance, you can turn the rest of the house, have it on a program to raise the temperature up to, you know, say 78, 
80 degrees, whatever. And then in the morning, have it set to bring the certain rooms back down, the kitchen, the, the breakfast area. But at night, you're able to keep your bedroom cool without keeping the whole rest of the house cool. So in essence, you can make the home cooler for a lot less money. And the other thing on a ductless system is the efficiency. You know, on, on a regular duct-type system, we keep talking about 14 sear, 16 sear, and it, it goes up as high as 21 sear, but you spend a lot of money on that. On a ductless system, they're pretty much starting at 30 sear. Uh, the one I put in my home, because I have some ductless systems in my home, is a 36 sear system. Extremely energy efficient. So if you are getting ready to look at a new system, you may want to consider taking a look at one of the ductless systems as well. Dave, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Yeah, hi there. A bit of a foundation question here. My wife is a big-time flower bed person, and on the side of the house, we've got a little bit of a slope, and she's built the flower bed up on that one side of the house, uh, and it's pretty high in my concern keeping water, you know, up against the house, that type thing. So we're in a bit of a discussion as whether that flower bed should be that high or be lowered somewhat to let the water get away. Okay, so what you're doing here is putting me on the spot to get your way with your <laughs> wife, correct? Uh, pretty much, but she's not here or listening. So regardless of what you say, I'll let her know that I got in and you told me to lower that flower bed. Oh, okay. Well, here's the rule. here's the thing. You should have three or four inches of the foundation showing below the brick. Okay. If, if she has raised the flower bed higher than that, where it's up by the brick, it needs to come down. One of the big reasons for it isn't for maintaining the foundation as much as it is for keeping termites out of the house. Okay. Uh, okay. But as far as drainage, if she's got the flower beds raised, and what a lot of people end up doing is they end up with this hump in the middle of the flower bed so it does pond water on the back side next to the foundation and that is a huge no-no got it gotta have the right, water hey, sloping it. away thank you sir you bet take care uh no standing water next to the foundation you want it sloping away a good five to ten feet from the foundation and that's whether you got flower beds or just grass keep the water away from ponding around the foundation. There's two things that'll happen if you let it pond. One, the soils will get saturated when we have a wet year, and it will literally turn to mush and let the foundation drop. But before that happens, typically it's heaved it quite a bit from standing water. But the secondary issue that you can run into, depending on how much of the foundation you have showing, concrete is porous. Moisture will travel through it. You can have that moisture coming up inside the home, causing you problems with your flooring and such, especially if you have wood floors. So always have water draining away from the house. Uh, and that doesn't mean you got to have gutters to do it. If the rain can run off the roof and drain away without gutters, perfect. You'll be just fine. Uh, but if you can't, then you need gutters. I love gutters above doorways, driveways, and patios. The rest of the house, if I can get away without having gutters, I'm going to do it. That's just my way of doing things. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.